Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and it is hot in the summertime in Columbus, Georgia. Don't have to tell you that. I know y'all are out traveling, but no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, whatever you have going on, God is welcoming you home. So we invite you to come and join us as we celebrate our awesome God of love and of grace and joy. Come on in. First scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms, substantial portions of that, starting with verse 1 through 6, and then verses 14 through 16. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them yet existed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from the letter of Paul to Philemon, or Philemon, whichever you prefer is right. Uh, I believe in the South we call him Philemon, so that's the way I'm going to call Now, let me give you a little overview of this. Um, this book, which is small, it only doesn't even have chapters, it just has verses. Now, Paul writes to a guy. It's a little bit different from him writing his letters to other churches. He wrote directly to this man, Philemon. And Philemon is wealthy and owns slaves. One of those slaves, Onesimus, has run away. Now, Paul has made connections with Onesimus, probably while he was in prison in Rome writing this and several of the other uh, epistles that he has written. But Onesimus starts to serve Paul, and they begin a relationship. Paul also has a relationship with Philemon. And so now Paul's quandary is what to do with a runaway slave Does he make him go back because that's the right law of the day? Well, let's take a look and see. 
I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And think about if what you would have to do to have Paul write this about you or our church. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ. I'm appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful, both to you and to me. I'm sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even though your own self, owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Hang in there. One more thing. Prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends greetings to you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right there, we just read a whole book of the Bible. The whole thing. The whole book of Philemon, you're through it. You can go tell people at lunch we read through one of the books of the Bible. Uh, but before we get to Philemon, I want us to go back and start with Psalm 139. <clears throat> a small town prosecuting attorney was trying a case and called his first witness an elderly woman who had lived in this town all of her life and happened to be the nosiest gossip around. 
He approached her and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? This is the prosecuting attorney. Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She said, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Brown. I've known you since you were a young boy, she smiled. And then didn't smile and said, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs, you charge far too much money, and you don't have the brains to realize you're never going to amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. Well, the lawyer, Mr. Brown, is stunned. Not knowing what else to do, he points across the room and says, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She says, well, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Smith since he was a youngster as well. In fact, I used to babysit him for his parents. He also has been a tremendous disappointment to me. He is lazy. He has a drinking problem. He's cheated his way through law school. He can't find any woman that will marry him. And he's one of the most crooked lawyers in this state. Yes, I know him. Well, at this point, the judge's gavel comes down with a thunderous boom. And he says, silence, I want both counsels to approach the bench. When they got there in a very quiet voice, he said with fire in his eyes, if either, if, if either of you ask her if she knows me, I'll jail you both for contempt of court. <laughs> Who knows us? Who knows you the best? There are some here that we have grown up with that know us from when we were kids. Mistakes, but not just mistakes. Maybe it's our family knows us the best. Maybe it's our friends that are, have been close to us for a long time. Maybe our church family, maybe others. But today, David, author of Psalm 139, makes the case that God knows us the best. Why is he making a case? Let's take a look. The very first thing he says when he starts, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Who has been with you longer than God? That's nobody. Who has known you from your first heartbeat? Yes, you were there, a part of mom. But God knows you inside and out. Every piece, every hair on your head, everything you have done and everything you have not done, both good and bad. But David presents this as an amazing gift from God, that we are fully known. We can't hide from God. We don't even need to try. How many of us have made poor choices and then kind of stepped away from church or God for a while because we think maybe we're a little embarrassed about some poor choices we've made and all that does is hurt God's heart and your own because wherever you go, Who's there? God is there. How do we know that? 
You hem me in, hem me in. Behind and before you lay your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you were there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you were there. Sheol is not hell. It is a place of the dead, kind of an in-between place, neutral. If I take the wings of the morning and settle in the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. There's no place that we can go that God isn't. And that shouldn't be a source of fear but rather a source, a source of joy. Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 28, nothing can separate us from the love of God, but David says it first here. No place you can go. No dark moment too dark. No place too far. No, nor mental withdrawal nor full inclusion in the joy and faith of life. God is with us. This is God's design, not a separate faraway God, but a God that loves us and promised to walk with us every day. The interesting thing here is that David, in trying to lift up God's magnificence, glory, and power, doesn't talk about creation, which would have been fine too. He doesn't say, look at the stars in the heaven. He doesn't say, look at the sun and the moon. He doesn't say, look at the sea and the mountains. He talks about the human body as something amazing that only God could do. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. For I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. David is lifting up not the great mountains and the seas, but you, each one of you, and me, for the amazing creation that each of us are. Creation is one of those things that can bring people to God, to Christ. But we also often forget to look at ourselves. Augustine, theologian, said, People travel to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea and the long courses of the rivers, and the vast compass of the ocean at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. How many times do you look in the mirror and think, I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God? I want each of you to do that. Today, every day this week, when you wake up, you say it to yourself. Because you are a wonder. You look at the intricacies of the human body, and often we take for granted when things go well, and we just focus on the things that don't go well. A pain, a break, a disease, an illness. All is going well, right with the world until something happens and then you work on that 
health issue until hopefully you can come back or you deal with that health issue as a part of your body. But what we cease to remember is the wonder of all that goes right second by second for your body to function. The complexity of the brain, the complexity of the cell, DNA structures that would stretch from here to the sun, 93,000 miles, 93 million miles, 400 times contained in a cell. What? Who does that? Darwin? Evolution just made that happen? Oh, I don't think so. You are a wonder, an intentional wonder from God. Each one of you made, as Aaron said, in the way that God made you. No cookie cutters for human beings. Every one of you is special and all of you have worth. Sometimes in our society, we have looked so poorly on those who are arrogant and self-centered that we move the, 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 the pendulum too far the other way and we choose to err on the side of worthlessness. Or those voices in our head, often we know the worst, our worst critic can be our own voice in our head. You can't do that. You're not whatever enough. Smart enough, disciplined enough, strong enough, experienced enough, gifted enough. You're too this, you're too that. And so you look at yourself, you put yourself in this unhealthy category of being worthless. And that breaks God's heart. Your creator and maker made you to be wonderful. What does it mean to be fearfully and wonderfully made? Fearfully? Why? Why that word? The Hebrew word yare is used for a couple of things. That's what this word fearfully is. And one is fear as we know it, to be afraid or to tremble. And the other is a sense of awe. And so both of those apply in the sense that you're not supposed to always be afraid of God, but what happens all the way through the Bible when angels show up, what's the first thing they say? What is it? Do not fear. Why? Because people are afraid. Because God is too large for us to understand, scope too amazing and powerful. But it's not saying be afraid of God. It is saying give God respect and reverence. Sometimes we overly humanize God to make God just like us. And Christ is a connection point, if not the connection point, and was human. But when we rob God of God's mystery and power that is far greater than any of our human minds can understand, we are undercutting the character, nature, and glory of God. That's fearfully. So it is both, yes, we give God respect and reverence. Do not forget that. But it is also wonderful. 
The translation is more set aside or uniquely set aside. Can you imagine the day you were born, the day you were conceived and started your heart beating? God is excited. He wakes up and says, hey, Margie's coming today. I am so excited. Brad's coming today. I can't wait. I am so excited, and this will be wonderful. Do you ever think God looks at you and thinks you are wonderful? That's how God sees you. Don't let yourself distort that image because that voice in your head, like this woman in the opening story, just keeps telling you all the bad things you've done and why you are a disappointment. Because you are not. We all make mistakes. Of course we do. But God is with us in that moment. For example, I have before me a $100 bill. Real stuff. No, my face isn't on it. This is the real deal. $100 bill. Tommy, would you like this? Charlotte, would you like this? Leslie, would you like a $100 bill? Yes, thank you. <laughs> what if I crumple it up in my hand? It's all crumpled up. Do you still want it? What if I throw it down and I stomp on it? and it is little and squished and mangled. Do you want this $100 bill? Why? Because you can use it and its value is the same. And you know who made that bill? The United States government. You know who's going to back up that little wadded, beaten up bill? The U.S. government. It is still useful because it is supported by its maker. You are the same way. We all get wadded up. We all get beaten up. We all get stomped on. But because of who made us, we are still useful. None of us is worthless. Never think of yourself as worthless. You break God's heart. So, number one, know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. To do what? Philemon says in verse 6, Paul says to him, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. Let me say that again. I pray that the sharing of your faith, so there's faith sharing. We presbys don't do that so well. We're a little bit more in our head then we are trained to get that out. We need to work on that. So it becomes effective when? When you perceive all the good we may do for Christ. So it's when you, you share your faith becomes effective, when you see all that can be done, when you share your faith, all the work that we can do when we partner with God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and one another, you get more excited you share your faith more to achieve that potential. Anybody ever been on a diet? Anybody? You liars. All of you have been on a diet. 
What is it that for that time that you may be in, what spurs you to stay on longer? You lose a few pounds. It's working. You see the potential of losing more weight. So you adhere to the paradigms of the the, uh, rough outline of that program. Please check your doctor before starting any diet program. So the more weight that you lose, the more you see you can lose more. So you get excited and you stay in. It's working. It's working. It's the same here with our faith. Sharing our faith becomes effective when we see what can be done, what good can be done with and for God. The more we share our faith, not in a judgmental way, sometimes with actions, sometimes with words, we see the potential of what happens. It won't happen all the time. Sometimes people don't want any part of it, but sometimes people do. And you have been empowered to change lives by sharing your faith. And when you do that, you get excited. You are transformed as well as the person you are helping from a faith perspective. And then that continues and you want more of it. That's what Paul is putting on us here in Philemon. So very simply, our Old Testament is informing our New Testament. Know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Why? So that you can share your faith and become excited and motivated by the good and amazing things that you will do with God. You do that as individuals. We do this as a church. You are priceless in God's eyes. And I would say for our church family, you are all priceless in God's eyes. Never forget it. But you aren't meant to sit on that good news. You are meant to then go and share that because so many don't know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Many don't know that in sharing faith, they can transform themselves and others and do amazing work with God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Share your faith, transform yourselves and the world. Hallelujah. Amen.